Kia and welcome to When Lambs Are Signed, the podcast. You're here with Aaron and Dale. Hello. How you doing, Dale? I'm good, man. You, you look tired. I'm exhausted. But hey, we're here and uh, that's all that matters. So what are, <laughs> what are we talking about today, bro? Today we've got Nick from um, City Mission. We're talking about uh, youth homelessness in particular. Awesome. So Nick's also a member of Manaki Rangatahi, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, I actually first met her when she, we were both supporting a young woman who was rough sleeping um, on Queen Street. And this young woman specifically, like, was just really struggling to get the support, especially from some of our government agencies at the time. And I remember that we were both in the same hui together. And I didn't know Nick from a bar of soap. But, you know, she got up and told these, you know, big you know, managers from different services around, hey, like, this is just unacceptable. You need to make sure you look after this young woman and just, like, unleashed fire on these people. And I was like, whoa, I did not expect that. But, yeah, no, she's an amazing advocate and, like, someone who's just, like, to- totally for Alfano and our rangatahi and is always, like, bringing their voice in spaces that matter. So it's a real privilege to have her on the show. Yeah, cool. So we'll get into it. Jordan Nick, and welcome to When Light Ems the Sign of the Podcast. How you doing, mate? Good, Aaron. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are yeah. you? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, hey, before we get into it, do you reckon you can tell us just a little bit about yourself? And also, like, just thinking what brought you into this kaupapa? Why are you committed to this work? Right. So, for Nick Bowden Tokuingwa, I work for the Auckland City Mission. I I was born and raised in South Auckland, Manidewa, and then my family's in Papakura now. I got a bit lost after high school and, and that sort of thing, and um, I did some study in psychology and criminology, um, but quickly found that I was, what I, the, the mahi that I was really interested in doing was um, sort of in that social work space, and I was lucky enough to just wing myself a job at the mission, and yeah, so I've been there probably for coming up four years now and through my mahi with the mission and on the homelessness and housing team, um, in particular the outreach team, I sort of had my eyes opened to the issue of, of youth homelessness and, and seeing Aorangatahi on the street. So um, and I suppose in a, in a roundabout way that's what's connected us. It is. <laughs> it, and... Um... So yeah, youth homelessness. I mean, it's not really something for some people that they connect right with, you know, rough sleeping and all of that. Um, but like for you, what do you see? Like, what is youth homelessness? Yeah, I mean, good question. And I suppose for a lot of people, they may we've said it lots of times. It is hidden. So I guess, and uh, amongst the public, it might not be so known as to like the scale of the issue and, and what that looks like. And I suppose um, what what I see in my, in my work in outreach is literally rangatahi and young people on the street sleeping rough. And that can be, as I've, I've seen kids out there as young as 10, I think was the youngest, but in terms of consistently rough sleeping around age 15 and then yeah, sort of that continuing on through to their early early adult years. And that's a really sad 
sight, I suppose, when you, you're literally looking at one of one of our our rangatahi, our teenagers that should be in high school, but but they're sleeping on the street on on top of cardboard with a tiny sleeping bag to keep them warm. That's when you know something's really gone wrong um, in our society and our system. Definitely in our emergency housing space, there's there's rangatahi there that are living in conditions that aren't fit for for anyone to be living in. Um, and whether that's because they're there officially or unofficially, whether they've been locked out of sort of homes and bubbles and whānau during this time, abandoned buildings is a common one. We've, we've got young people that are sleeping at night in their workplace, um, unbeknown to their employers. So it can look loads of different ways. And then there's a lot of couch surfing that goes on as well, or, or um, moving from place to place, you know, Someone might stay a few nights here and a week there and a month there until they know they've sort of um, outstayed their welcome or, or their time's up there and then it's on to the next, find, finding the next place. And usually that's where um, once all of those avenues are exhausted, that's when you'll see someone, a, a young person on the street and you know that I suppose they really are at their, their wit's end by that point. So, so you mentioned before around some of the the youngest people that you've seen. You've seen ten year olds, fifteen year olds. I mean, I mean they they're just kids, right? Like, how confronting yeah. is that for you? To like to come across, and what do you do? You know, when you when you meet a ten year old on the street, like, what do you do in that moment? Yeah, I mean, in that moment, like I will never forget that moment. I was scared. I was like, "What are you doing here? Where did you come from? You know, where are you meant to be? Who's are you?" Just that true human reaction, I suppose, that any any one of us would, would have. And, yeah, the response, I suppose, we just really wanted to, yeah, pick her up and, and give her heaps of aroha and help her find her way back to, to where she was supposed to be. But I suppose the, the flip side of that is she's left for a reason, you know. So it's really, really hard to, to let go and say, see you later once. You know, the people in charge and the powers that be have come along to take over because you're not sure what she's going back to. Um, and it's out of your hands and it's out of her hands. So that brings about feelings of powerlessness. And you say that they're, you know, a young person's there for a reason. I mean, one of the common questions is, you know, aren't there places that these young people can go? Or like, you know, if they've just left, like, is that on them? Like, what, why are the reasons that our young people, are, you know, our children uh, are choosing the streets rather than mm. wherever they were? Yeah, and, and I guess that, that notion of choice and, and no matter how old you are is really different depending on what your life situation is. Hey, so... The choices that I have available to me are very different to the choices that I see available to the 15, 16, 17 year olds on the street. And when, you know, the the place where they are supposed to be staying might be way overcrowded with people they don't feel safe with, with not enough cry to go around. So you talked about why some young people might want to leave home and why they might not be feeling safe. You also talked about like other services. Like, so I assume you, you know, if you meet a 10 year old, like, are you contacting Oranga Tamaruki? Like, you know, is there, what are our young people feeling safe there? Like, will they provide housing for the young people that you come across? 
Yeah, I mean, the Ministry for Children have a have a responsibility for our tamariki and our rangatahi. I suppose a lot of the time, the worries and the issues that um, our our young people speak of in those types of in those situations and in those maybe care institutions or different living arrangements and stuff is it's not something that works for them. They haven't had their voice heard, and again, they don't feel safe. They don't feel feel loved and held. And once once our rangatahi are sort of getting to the age of 16, 17, 18, if they've had sort of a lifetime of that, they're about ready to just go out on their own. You know, they're starting to think about, look, how can I take care of myself here? And and they might have tried lots of different ways to find something to, to live with someone or an alternative situation. But I don't think that the housing option for Aurangatahi that are wanting to go out on their own, that is, that have come through care are there and is not supportive to help them to transition into independence and there's not enough of it yeah and you, and you talked to you talked before about the powerlessness of of um you know meeting a young person on the street and, and not always knowing where they're going to go have you ever had to leave a young person sort of sleeping rough and, and how do you see oh of- yeah too many times yeah, it's it's not it's not a good it's not a good feeling going home at night when you you know that you've left a rangatahi on the street that night and we will do everything that we can we do everything in our power to advocate and to access the not only the say some emergency housing or or the resourcing in the putia to make that happen but there's a lot of barriers that sort of come up a lot of the emergency housing sites don't people under the age of 18 and then on the flip side of that if they do accept someone under the age of 18 or even at age 18 these emergency housing sites are no place for someone of that age just as the streets is no place either but it's not a safe environment to be leaving them in as well we really need to be able to have somewhere that's available and immediately when we come across a rangatahi that's on the street, they've got somewhere to go tonight and they, they've got a, someone on the other end that's there to meet them and to afi them um, and to wrap around some supports and care for them. Can, can you talk a bit about, you know, you mentioned emergency accommodation, not always being safe. Can you talk about some of the conditions that you've seen, like both physically, physical conditions and also the environments that, that you've been in and, and witnessed? Yeah, sure. And I and I suppose we as a society are stuck a little bit between a rock and a hard place because there is a housing crisis and we're behind behind the eight ball on the back foot um, in terms of being able to respond appropriately and prevent people falling into homelessness. So the response as it stands, I suppose, is is using a lot of motel sites and that sort of thing as an emergency housing solution, which in theory should be a short-term fix, but a sort of bottlenecks there at at the motels and at the emergency housing stage because there's nowhere to go on to from there. There's a real shortage in the the long-term, the availability and the supply of long-term suitable and permanent housing um, and that's across the country and across the housing sector I believe but 
in terms of what that means for some of our emergency housing sites, they, they weren't designed to to look after and to um, house some of our countries and our, our society's most most vulnerable people with really intense and, and complex needs. And so some of the, I guess, what the environment can look like sometimes, not all the time, but is, it can be really run down and cold and, you know, we see a bit like quite a lot of mould and all of that kind of thing. Just, I guess, poor standards, of, yeah, poor standards of, of housing that aren't conducive to to wellness um, and to, yeah, to being healthy and, and all of those sorts thing yeah I guess on the the other side of that as well is there are a lot of adults in these um, as I mentioned there's adults with these intense needs and and high and complex needs there's you know issues of mental health alcohol drug use addictions there's gangs um, there's gang affiliations there can be violence and yeah none of that's ideal for for any of our whanau staying um, in these sites but it's the best we can do right now. And I think, I think that speaks for itself. I, I think that highlights a need and a priority if that's what we're accepting as the best we can do. But when that comes to, yeah, a, a place for our rangatahi, that just can't do. Yeah, it's not good enough. What's it like, you know, as, you know, like someone who's trying to support young people in that space, either living rough or living in a motel like that, where the conditions are just, you know, inhumane and unsafe. Like, how do you hold a young person in that space? Yeah, and that's a really good point because it, it, it can be hard. And, and while we, re- you know, we focus on, on building that whanaunatanga and just getting into relationship with, with that young person, but often at the end of the day, what they're after is a fuddy somewhere to live somewhere that's safe and that sort of thing and when you can't follow through on that it, it's definitely challenging I've just young one one young girl comes to mind that I've been working with for mm, just over 12 months now and unfortunately she's been stuck staying in, in one of our motels and yeah, from a practitioner's sense and, and yeah, working from her from a youth development lens, it's really impacted on their relationship because she just wants a place to live, a fuddy, you know, and what that does to her self-worth of thinking all she is good for is a motel where all this shit's going down every night and all that kind of thing. She starts to feel real down on herself and it does negative uh, sort of impact on the relationship between the, the youth worker and, and the young person themselves so we have to we have to hold that hope and that consistency with them just showing up you know showing up every time when you say you're going to show up and all that kind of thing and and knowing that we are we, we really are doing our best in the situation but acknowledging what that means for her and the reality that that means for her yeah what effect does that have on you and your team you know as a youth worker trying to trying to be there for this young person and knowing what you want for them, but not having the ability to, to give them that. Oh, I mean, you go through your ups and downs and you can, sometimes you just get really ho-ha and you can sometimes, you can channel that, you know, you can channel that energy into being a, being one of those change makers and using your voice and using the platform that you have, whether that's within your organization, 
within your 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 whānau, your friends and all that sort of stuff to do be- so that we can do better and demand better. And I suppose on the, on the other hand, sometimes that can be really draining. And like I said, we have to hold the hope and you've just got to stay really focused on that. And I do, I, I feel for our kaimahi and our workforce because it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy being that person and, and when when we're not seeing that change that we really want and need, um, that could make this mahi so much easier and, you know, we could focus on the really the important stuff, which is the healing journey with our rangatahi. You know, they've already been through enough once they've got to us. Let us do the work with them to, to start the healing. Thanks for that. Well, you said a couple of times that where we're at, um, it says a lot about where we are at with a society, you know, that, that hotels or the streets are the best that we can offer our children. What, what do you want to see change? What do you think we need to see change? Uh, and, and even in terms of our values, you said like that says a lot about what we value and we need to maybe reprioritize that. Like what are those values that maybe we need to be drawing on? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a massive question, I suppose. I think, again, a lot of this is hidden. And depending where you sit in society as well, you may have varying levels of, what's the word? Yeah, kind of like proximity or closeness or visibility to or experience of homelessness. And also in saying that something that can affect absolutely, yeah, if, if anything, if that's anything that I've learned in my in my few years at the mission is um, homelessness can affect literally anyone in, in our society, um, no matter what kind of job or income you have. What needs to change, I think we need to bring light to the reality of, and I suppose the real sadness and unjustness of what this looks like. I suppose, like if we also look at it that, you know, if we acknowledge that youth homelessness is the biggest driver of adult homelessness, and if we want to end adult homelessness, then we need to end youth homelessness. And again, that's one of those things of, yeah, what are we willing to tolerate as a society? I, I think that this is a, an issue of, of justice and equity, and, you know, it's morally wrong to have rangatahi and tamariki on the street or homelessness in any shape or form you know if this is your sister your nephew or, or, or your brother or um, your daughter what would you be willing to accept and I suppose that yeah that draws on those values again of justice and and compassion and, and what we want for our rangatahi because they really do you know their lived experience holds it, it's the future for our nation and we should I think we should be doing everything that we can to tōtoko and to enhance their mana and acknowledge that they're, yeah, that they're the future leaders of our society. Yeah, we should, yeah, I think we should be setting our young people up for success, you know, offering that dignity and that, that hope. Yeah. Kia ora. Thanks. And I guess as we, uh, as we wrap up, what, is there, is there anything that you'd like to just leave with people if you're thinking about like people that are maybe coming to this conversation and it's fairly confronting this conversation, talk about, you know, 10 year olds living on our streets, you know, kids um, basically staying in hotels, like what can people do? Um, or what would you like to say to someone who's sort of just wrestling with this for the first time? Yeah. And I acknowledge that it's 
not not nice to hear and it it's not cool man it's not cool and I also acknowledge that for for lots of people that this might be a, a closer to home experience um, than than other people as I sort of said before but this is a reality and and this is happening in our country and it's it's happening in in our city as well and I think the more that we can talk about this and it and and bring light to the situation and um and the issue the more chance we have for for change and real impact I would love to say just off the back of what I was saying before around you know if this if this was one of your whanau that was having this experience how you would respond to them and how you would feel for them or what you would do for them I really encourage you to find a way to channel that into being part of the solution for for our rangatahi that are experiencing homelessness right now um, in Aotearoa. And I suppose if I can touch on on the work of the collective through Manaki Rangatahi, get involved, just keep your finger on the pulse, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and see what we're up to and our, our collective partners as well. You know, we're, we're made up of a bunch of all, all different organizations and agencies that are doing all sorts of different kaupapa. And if there's ways that you can get involved and support one of those kaupapa, um, you'll be supporting Manaki Dangatahi as a whole. That's hey, the only profound thing I can think of. Sorry. Uh, you've said many a profound thing today, Nick. Hey, um, look, we really appreciate having you on the show and thank you so much for giving your perspective and um, just sharing some of the the hard but real stuff that you see every day cheers mate cool thank you so much and poor Maria. all right yeah that was nick what do you think dale what's your reflection sort of listening into that quarter yeah just just touching on the last thing that she said of um you know imagining this is one of your uh, you know, one of your family members was in this situation. As well as when she mentioned, you know, a lot, a lot of it being hidden. Um, and we've spoken before about this kind of thing being out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes you wonder how much of it is hidden and how much do we just choose not to see. I mean, because clearly this is a big issue. I mean, it's being brought to light by a lot of journalists now. And you, you guys have been speaking about it for a long time. You're speaking about how this is a massive problem that then also feeds into adult homelessness. We're definitely not blind to adult homelessness. You see it a lot. And you can see how much it's increased, you know, particularly in the city. Um, even even around here in, in Te Aritu, I don't remember at all, you know, when I was a teenager growing up, seeing any homelessness around here. Don't even remember, you know, going to the mall in Henderson and stuff. And now you see it all the time. You see people um, sleeping rough. And I, I mean, I mainly notice that with adults. I don't see it as much with young people, but clearly it's a problem. It's just, it's just baffles me how we're not seeing it, you know, and how this is... Um, not something that's been put to the forefront in as a major issue. Something that you've mentioned a lot, um, and then also something that, that Nick mentioned is, you know, what does this what does this tell us about our values, and um, at least how does this make us think about how we can realign those values um, as as we're trying to find a solution? What are the, what are the the biggest challenges that you find with? I guess not 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 only bringing it to light, but also getting people to see this as a priority and seeing it as something that's very important. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean, there's, there's a lot, and we've talked about a lot, but you know, go back to saying the next set around, like, what does this say about the values that we hold as a country? Like, that's something that I think, like, I often think about. Just last week, I was with a young woman who, you know, helped get into a hotel and 
she looked at it and she was terrified and she was like why 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 are you putting me here you know like you should have somewhere safe for me to go you should have a place where young people can go and i'll be safe and she was right you know like the hotel that we put her in was the best we could do but you know she was terrified and that same question that nick was reflecting on is something that i wrestle with is what what does this say about us as a society that you know some of our most vulnerable our children our rangatahi we haven't considered their needs and you, you asked before around it being hidden homelessness and there is an extent we're hidden in the sense that we don't see it but not that we don't know it it doesn't exist right like homelessness and youth homelessness specifically we have known that it existed and our you know census report we've we've seen that over 25 you know over over half the homeless population are young people under 25 so we know that it's there and and we continue to know that it's there as as the the attention has been drawn on it and the voices of our young people have been elevated yet the movement to actually address and change these things is so slow you know i sat with another young man just today who you know was just in tears like recounting some of the experiences he's going through more and more i speak to young people who tell me that they first slept rough when they were 10 or 9 or you know like younger and younger and i ask like why is this going on you know when we know that this is such an issue when we know that these are these are our kids right why are we not doing more why are we not outraged why are we not marching in the streets to say let's do something about this and that thing of our values is what I keep coming back to. I think we all want to say that we care, but I think as a society, our values are really judged and brought to the front in terms of when we look at how we treat the most vulnerable and the most marginalized in our society. And the fact is that homelessness and youth homelessness specifically doesn't have to exist, but we've chosen to allow it to exist by privileging you know, some groups of people over another by not allocating the resource into different areas in our community where it's needed, by not building communities of care that can actually care for our young people, you know? Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I don't. I know you've, you've petitioned a lot of people, you know, whether it be to, for funding, putting together programs. Is it a lack of apathy that you're seeing for these young people? Or is it really a, a lack of willing to commit to anything? You're talking about sort of like government response? Yeah, yeah, government. Yeah, that's a, a tough question because, you know, you, you don't really speak to anyone and people say, oh, yeah, we don't care about it. But I think it comes down to like the political will to move this issue forward hasn't been there, right? Like I, I always reflect on 2017 where there was like huge outcry from the community that there needed to be changed but young people's experiences weren't highlighted there. And so then the government really moved really rapidly to address the change and to pour money and resources into it. But once again, our young people's voices weren't there. So those services and systems weren't designed to meet the needs of young people. And so they continue to slip through the cracks. So in order to like focus on our young people, there needs to be a significant investment in Angatahi. There needs to be a dedication to actually meeting their needs and not just you know, meeting the needs of a broad range of people. Because when you do that, people slip through the cracks. And so, yeah, I I think it's complex in that there there's maybe not the support for this sort of action, the sort of action that's needed to address things for our young people. And there's so many different reasons for that. I mean, whenever we talk about this, you know, I'm always, you know, we are, we're always getting messages around how, you know, young people are, 
lazy or they're this or there's that you know there's still this narrative in our community really strong that youth homelessness doesn't really exist and that if if someone's homeless and they're you know a young person they just they got a home and they could go back or they should be able to and if they don't it's on them you know it's still this really individualistic yeah, sort yeah. of like blaming the individual you know the child really for what has happened to them rather than saying actually as a community we need to take responsibility and and this comes into like you know, yes, I, and I, I, look, I'm definitely on record with saying the government's got some responsibility and a lot of responsibility to fix this issue. But almost every day I am butting up against systems which are created by people who have the power to make a decision that could keep a young person off the street or could make, the, make them that little bit safer or support us to move them into a better place, right? These systems that we're trying to navigate every day were created by human beings. And often they have flexibility built within these systems, but people are making decisions that disadvantage and marginalize others, right? And often what we are fighting against when we're trying to help our young people get the resources and the support they need is discrimination. An idea that this young person is, you know, lazy or is, you know, just, you know, doesn't want help or that they're just trouble and they they just need to take some responsibility, you know, like, like not like a deeper understanding or an acknowledgement of actually the, like the traumatic experience this kid is have, having and why actually we may need to be a bit flexible in order to keep this person safe and to look after them and to make hmm. sure that they get what they need. A lot of our time is spent advocating and fighting just for our young people's basic human rights to be upheld. Would it be much to ask for an example of one of these situations? So an example would be like a young person that doesn't have access to the benefit because they just haven't had an opportunity yet to get on the benefit. This is a common example. And, and we've done a lot of work um, to try to hold, you know, stop this gap from being one, um, but it still happens, right? So a young person, they find themselves homeless. They're sleeping on the street tonight. They think, where do we go to get help? Wins, you know, that's where you're meant to go. Walk in and they're told, oh, sorry, you're not, you know, you're under 18, you're a young person, you, we can't help you. You need to go get on the youth payment. So go do that, go apply, be on the youth payment, and then come back and, you know, maybe we can sort you out. Now, the process of getting on the youth payment is often you have to be able to access it online, fill out a form, um, have your IDs, your IOD number, a bank account, like all this stuff. It's, it's a pretty, like, difficult system to navigate. You're a 16-year-old kid. You're sleeping rough that night because you've just been kicked out of home. You don't have any of your IDs. You don't really have access to a computer or internet or even know how to navigate this like wealthy document. Um, you've gone in to ask for help and an adult who's seen how vulnerable you are has said, sorry, I don't have time. Come back when you've done it yourself. Now, there is flexibility. You, you might say, oh, that's terrible. you know, And it is because technically that person in that job is right. They don't. That's not technically their job. But they also, within the system that they operate, have the capacity to help in that moment. So in that moment, yeah. that person can grant that young person seven days in a hotel and then refer them to the right person who can help them get the benefit. So in the system, there has been, you know, the system's actually got flexibility to respond to need. But human beings every day make decisions that, often based out of, um, like I said before, discrimination and false narratives about young people that then um, disadvantage people who are in really desperate need. 
another example is that when a young person, maybe a bit older, 18, goes in seeking emergency accommodation, and then they're told you have contributed. Do you know what's going on? What's going on in your situation? Okay, you've contributed to your own homelessness. Um, so we're not going to help you. Right. So this is a young person that has run away from home. This is a common story. I'm not sharing a, a specific one. I hear this all the time. Young person who has run away from home because home's not safe. They've been abused. They couldn't stay there. And then they come into, you know, into, into work and income. And then they're told that, hey, because you ran away, well, that's on you. So we're not going to help you out. So once again, the, the, the spirit and intent of um, that whole system is to help those who are in need. And there's a policy that says if someone needs help, you need to make sure that that happens. But people are making judgments on individuals' needs and then turning them away when they could help, right? Yeah, it seems like there's always an underlying assumption that just because you're a young person, you have some sort of some sort of support around you when that's not necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely complex and there's so much... There's so much that, you know, if, if, if a young person is in this situation where they're facing sleeping on the streets tonight, something's happened, right? It's not something yeah. you just des- decide to do. And some young people, yeah, it might, from your appearance, from the outside looking in, being like, well, you could just go home. But there's something going on there. And what we should be focused on is keeping those young people safe first and then figuring out what's going on later. Yeah. Particularly if there's a potentially been trauma there. Oh yeah, not gonna get you know you're not gonna get down to the crux of the matter straight away in your first meeting with a person. It's gonna take some time for them to build trust, yeah, and to be in the place where they can be vulnerable, I suppose, to be able to deal with whatever is. And a lot of our young people don't trust initially. You know, that's a journey that takes time to be able to build and earn that trust, which is understandable. Mm. You think there's a difficulty, um, which I think I'm again just circles back to you speaking to our values but um a difficulty for just you know the average joe the average person to um i guess be part of the solution if that makes sense just going through the general things of life you the huge general rat race you think that's that sort of allows us to stay hidden yeah i and it comes back to like yeah i, I should have worded that better <laughs> like <laughs> no but like once again like going back to our values like what do we value most our own comfort and security you know, achieving our own goals for that day or actually caring for and loving those in our society and our neighbors, right? Once again, like coming back to actually, we all can have a part to play in this is often I come across these young people. I'm like, they are all part of communities. You know, some of these young people, their stuff had been going on in school and the right questions weren't asked or people didn't ask at all. You know, I don't know how many times I've sat down with a young person and just said, like, how are you going? And just been giving them space to speak. And I've met them for two minutes and they've shared their whole, you know, hard stuff they're going through. And like no adult has actually just asked, like, what's going on? You know, you've got a young person who's like bouncing around the couches of people in your community. Like, it might be time to ask, mate, why is this happening? Is there something going on at home? Do you need some help? Um, and I wonder how many times those questions could have been asked and support could have been given, even not just not just to the young person, but to the whānau before it became an op- to the point where a young person was feeling like they needed to leave. I spoke to a young person today who, who told me he left home because his siblings were staying with, you know, another family member. They, the people they were staying with couldn't afford to feed them all. So that, you know, and so he thought, oh, I need to leave so that there'll be enough food going around. 
like sometimes I look in those situations and there's other services around, you know, and you are thinking like there's small things that could be done here. If we actually just got ourselves involved and went just maybe a little bit beyond our job description. And we said, actually, Hey, like, yeah, this might be my, my job here, but I know that if I do X, Y, and Z, or if I just like, you know, pick up a phone and, and connect someone else to someone else, maybe we can actually have a better result for this whanau. Yeah. Um, you're right. And it's not just professionals. I mean, a lot of professionals in the space are just working bloody hard and there's, you know, we're overwhelmed. Right. But like in our communities, m- most of the stuff is, is there and um, you may not be seeing it, but you know, for those who are like, when you're sort of touching it, sometimes just asking that question and just saying, Hey, what's actually going on and getting involved in people's lives can be really important. I remember this, like one young person that came into our service and we wouldn't have known he was there except for one young man who used to be in OT care was walking down the street and saw this kid and was worried about him. And so went and asked him what's going on. And he said, oh, I've got nowhere to stay. Figured that out. You know, they took him down to the mission and the mission called us and then they, you know, connect him to that one. And I'm pretty sure he actually took him home that night just to make sure that he was safe and then got him connected and, you know, um, and we were able to get him housed. And, you know, like sometimes, you know as a community it means actually just seeing one another and stopping and taking a moment to listen and taking a moment to hear what's going on you know like another really great example is as a family that i'm speaking to at the moment who you know have had a young person turn up on their their couch you know whose mate who one of their sons has brought him in and, and they don't know what they can do to help but they're not just moving him on you know they're saying okay well we probably can't have you here long term but let's find out what's going on and let's try to help you get connected to support and they've reached out to us and we you know we're trying to work with them but as a community just getting involved in each other's lives this stuff it starts in our communities i I, i've I've probably said it here on the show before and say it again is that homelessness isn't a problem it's a solution to a problem and the big problem is that our communities are fundamentally broken we've forgotten how to be community for one another we've forgotten how to care for one another and have space in our lives for each other and I tell you, every young person that's ended up on the street or in my service, way before that, someone knew what was happening. Someone saw a family who was struggling. Someone saw a young man who, or a young woman who, who looked like they were on the edge and they just needed some help. And a lot of someones didn't do anything. Hmm. But we can do something, you know? It's not just all about the government. We can actually build communities of care and love um, and, and pay attention and ask the question and get involved in each other's lives. I imagine you'd be seeing an increase of that during the pandemic with people, I guess, naturally having to be segregated just for safety. And just the way everything's moving at the moment, I think we're moving even to a, you know, a deeper time of our communities, not everything we're involved in, not even being around us. You know, it could be in another city, in another country. It feels like we're going to become more and more disconnected from the people in our immediate vicinity and there's a question is that healthy for us like is that good is that the way we as human beings are meant to survive and thrive yeah it's a bit bit scary i think like just as we close you know thing that i really appreciate about nick through that conversation is just her heart Mm. and um, i don't know if it came across but like could see it in her as we were talking is just her love for these kids and just the reality that these are kids and like, I hope that people can feel that. And I sat with this young man just, just today and he wept 
you know, and, and if you saw him walking down the street, you might think, oh, he's a hood rat, you know, he's trouble. He's just a child. He just wants to be loved. And the way that these children get treated by adults, by people in positions of authority and power who could actually care for them and love them and change their circumstances. And it's not just in the way that you treat them when you see them on the street and the way that you, you know, walk across the road just to get away from them or, you know, give, glare at them or whatever that is. It's also in the way that you then decide to vote for and support policy that harms them and continues to label them as other, as, you know, problems in our society that need to be fixed or cast aside. Like these are children and they're hurting and they're suffering and they're in pain. And I don't know, I, I hope maybe in something of what Nick said that you may, may see those kids, that you may see how much pain that they're going through. And that hopefully through this conversation, you can hear how unnecessary it all is that we could do something about this and that we plan to. Yeah, cool, man. Awesome. Well, don't know about you, but I don't have any coffee that's quote unquote because <laughs> I'm not drinking coffee right now, but. Yeah, and I already had about. That, no. I, I, I already had about four, so I'm just yeah, drinking mate. cold water, mate. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's too hot as well. <laughs> too hot. Yeah. Anyway, that's us for tonight. Yeah, yeah thank you for listening. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Is silent the podcast rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening and join the conversation by following us on facebook twitter or instagram the music from this podcast is from the album dissonance by jess jackson and leon shelley listen to more from these artists on spotify